welcome to season three of Gill Athletics Connection Podcast. If this is your first time here, we're so excited you hit the play button today. If you like what you hear, check out our library of hundreds of past guests that is sure to give you value. For everyone else, we're so happy you've come back. Quick favor, if you haven't already, consider taking a minute to rate and review the podcast. This simple act helps amplify these amazing stories, and we just love to hear your feedback. Heck, we may even read it out loud in a future episode. Okay, that's enough of an intro, right? Let's get to it. See what today's guest has in store for us. And welcome back to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. I am your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager here. Before we get started, hey, how about a shout out to our new intro? That's Jennifer Vanderlot. She's amazing. Love her on the team. So glad that we got her to do a little intro here. So uh, if you ever want to know more about her, man, she was a kick butt division one all-american thrower man so we we had her on the podcast if you want to check her out but today we've got another kick butt coach here help me welcome the wise the wonderful the owner of complete track and field mr latif thomas latif how are you sir i'm doing great man thanks for having me oh hey we've been back and forth we've been trying to get this one scheduled man so i'm excited about this <laughs> yeah i'm excited too absolutely man so how you're up in the new england man how how are things going up there as far as, as a, it's got to be cold man it's cold here it's cold, but it, it hasn't been that bad. You know, I don't know if it's just uh, cyclical or it's global or climate change or whatever it is, but it's, you know, the winters don't feel as cold out here. So we've had some days um, so far, but I'm, I have nothing to complain about. I mean, I do. I could complain a lot about, you know, it's not Southern California or whatever. You have, you know, friends that live all over in warm places uh, who don't know what it's like to to struggle with the weather be, you know, when it's physically painful to go outside, but it hasn't been yeah. there too much here yet. You know, everybody talks about the bad parts of global warming. No one talks about like, Hey man, it's mild in the winter. Sometimes <laughs> that's a, you know, I don't want to make light of global warming, but you know, I am from, no, Al- no. I'm from Alabama originally. Oh, so I can't sorry. stand Yeah, exactly. So I can't stand it at all, man. No, I've definitely thought about that because it's to me, you know, when you're coaching and you, you spend, you know, been coaching, coached two decades up here never had access to an indoor track uh for the most part so you're literally looking at the weather you've got to mm-hmm. you know schedule things around you know can is it safe to go outside today mm-hmm. um and so you know when you have other when you when it's not as hot out or not as cold out and you can get outside and get more work in you're, you're, you're going to get better results because you're not as restricted by by your facility limitations I had to get over that really quick, actually. That's, that was a good point. So when I was in, my first coaching gig was in Chicago. So I'd come from Alabama to Chicago and no facility, you know, we were running hallways and then, you know, we'd go to the local high school track or whatnot, but because I hated cold so much, mm-hmm. like if it got cold, I'm like, all right, we're in the hallways. Uh, and I've never talked to a couple of different coaches, you know, who are from the Chicago land area. And they're like, yeah, our rule basically is if it's above 32, we, we socks and jocks, we put on hats, we put on gloves, we, we got to get outside and get work in, or we're just never going to be able to get anything. And so I had to really like, okay, I guess that means me. I mean, I guess I, I have to be out there with them as well. So yeah. I had, to, I had yep. to toughen up myself. So you, you mentioned being up there for a couple of de- decades uh, uh, now up in the no- New England. Let's, where, so where do we start here, Latif? Where does track start for you? Are you from New England? Where, where are you from? Yeah, I'm from, I was born in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, spent, you know, most of my coaching career up there. Uh, you know, I went to, I went to UConn. Uh, ran at UConn. I mean, just about the cold thing, my, which was a real shocker. My first year at UConn, they were rebuilding the the indoor facility. So we had no track at all. 
Oh, there was just no building. So no matter what, if it was negative a million and it got cold up there, we were still going to have to go outside. And so that's not, it was a tough transition from high school to college anyway, because here, at least back, you know, in the mid nineties, it was like, for as, as far as college track and field, it was like UConn and then whatever the next best schools were. Um, and so, come, you know, I was good in high school record here, champion there. Then I got to college and um, I was just like one of the several freshmen that, you know, oh, you ran 48 in high school. Mm -mm. Yeah. So talk to us about high school. You mentioned 48. So were you a sprinter mainly? Yeah, I was a sprinter mainly. I was mainly like a 400 guy. But I ran, you know, in high school, they, you run everything from the 100 to the, to the 400. But I primarily got recruited to run the four. But I ended up being our, our best 200-meter um, uh, runner while at UConn. So, you know, I just kind of dabbled around. You know, growing up, I was, you know, I tell the story sometimes when I was in kindergarten, when my mom went to the first parent-teacher conference, the first thing my teacher Mrs. Candelette said to her was not, you know, how smart I was, but, oh, wow, he can really run fast because I was owning kids in Duck, Duck, Goose. Um, and so, you know, my mom likes to tell that story. But then, I, th but then my first time of, of track was in middle school in seventh grade, and I was terrible. Really? Terrible. Yeah. Um, now, like now was, are you saying terrible compared to what you knew about track or comparable, terrible compared to the kids in class? Even just care, well, it was, it was, you know, what, so that was 1991. I didn't know anything about track. Yeah, we didn't know anything, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was nowhere to, there was nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. um, but I wasn't, I wasn't even good from being on the team standpoint. Hmm. Um, I think I ran maybe like 29, the 200 as a seventh grader. And so, okay, whatever. Then I came out and then eighth grade, I got, I just, I got better. Like, hmm. uh, I, you know, I ran like, 59 8 in the four which mm -hmm. was locally fast and people were like oh wow that's pretty good then i got to high school and i was being lazy and the coach wanted me to come out and i made up like oh i gotta get my grades up so i didn't and and so, and i did nothing right. and then you know sophomore I, st I was still living the basketball dream uh but i wasn't that good yeah uh, and then sophomore year it was when it kind of clicked i came out and uh you know, as a 15 year old and ran 51 low in the four, 20, 23 flat in the two, which was, you know, I think I got ninth at the state championship. I won the unseated heat. So, so what, what changed training or just you're taking it serious. And so you took the training serious or what, I mean, that's a pretty significant drop there. Like you start getting to like le legit territory in that sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm competitive. I don't, I really, I really don't know what it was. I wasn't lifting weights. I mean, I, I didn't really do much my freshman year, but even, you know, first, you know, time trial, I was right behind the, the, the best 400 runner on the team. And all of a sudden people were like, Oh, so and then, then people just started saying I was good. And then, you know, then I started, then I was like, well, maybe I could be good. Maybe this could be a thing. Hmm. Uh, but I still didn't change anything. So I went from, you know, that, and then, so I went from, you know, 51 to 48, eight as, my junior year as a 16 year old and 22 wow. flat. Uh, and then, you know, then I started getting recruited and, right. um, and, you know, I didn't come from, you know, so I knew if I wanted to go to college, certainly if I was gonna be able to get a scholarship, that's gonna be big because I wasn't otherwise, mm -hmm. I don't even know what the path was going to be. I mean, uh, you know, I would have, you know, gotten into some school and done whatever the other, the, the normal route that no regular people take, not that it was not regular, but, um, and so I just was, was fortunate, um, to just be able to just have some fast legs at least you know at least regionally um 
and just went from there. And when you were starting to get recruited and you already alluded, you, you ended up signing with UConn, which, you know, great program. And, uh, you know, luckily was saved, if you will, these last call it 24 months, we had, um, uh, Oh gosh, Virginia Tech throws with dubs on the podcast talking about the efforts you and the alumni took together to to keep that, which was awesome. Love that. Uh, but what were you looking at when you were being recruited? What what were you looking at for a school? And maybe it was just that scholarship that might have been a, that big of a deal, uh, which would make sense. Uh, and where were you like for a major? Like what were you thinking in regards to going to a school to study and and become at this point? Oh, yeah. Good questions. Uh, one, I was looking for a scholarship and that was it. I had no other real things about big school, small school. I just didn't right. know anything. I didn't know anything. I didn't have. So then when I knew really too much above me or, you know, to tell me what to look for. And, you know, I mean, I definitely would have done things differently going back and what I was looking for. So I was looking for the scholarship. And I had no idea about a major. Like I said, I majored in track. Mm. Um, I didn't I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. Um, you know, really was like until like you had to declare your major at the end of sophomore year. And I was like, well, I like history and I like this professor that I have. I'll major in history, not even realizing that that didn't mean anything. And I was like, well, I guess I'll be a te- I could be a teacher. Yeah. I realized that like, you didn't even, I didn't even know enough to know that you had to go to like, like as a major, as a teacher, I just thought, oh, I'll major in history and then I'll go be a teacher. Oh, right. So, so you know, so then I had to take a more uh, circuitous path uh, once I, once I graduated. But yeah, I had no idea going in. I just wanted to run track. And, you know, you, everyone, when you're young, you think you're going to always, there's a next level you can get to. Um, but I had a lot of injuries um, that were, you know, probably from mechanics, probably just, it was a bit of a volume, a volume program. I remember when I was getting recruited, um, I said uh, to Coach Roy, you know, like, remember being in the guidance council office. And I said, you know, if you're going to turn me into an 800 runner, I don't want to come here. That's all I knew. I didn't want to do anything above the four. <laughs> And so I, he, and he went, mm, mm, mm. and then my first day on campus, uh, I get a phone call. Latif practiced at four o'clock. I said, practice cross for country. What? He said, cross country. No. So my very first day of college, my very first experience of track was to go do a five mile run. And you had run no cross country in high school. What is even your vocabulary? <laughs> no, that's silly. That's silly talk. I wasn't going to, I mean, that's just, I didn't want to do all that distance running. Right. Um, and so when I ran five, I got lost because <laughs> out, out in the woods, you know, in the middle of nowhere here to come find me. Um, and so that was, that was how it's, that was how it started for me. Uh, um, so just, you know, so, and I had a fine career. Um, you know, I made multiple biggies finals and IC4A final and, you know, New England champion. It, like, so I had a fine career, but it, it definitely was not, what I thought it could be. I think that's kind of like what was a, what, what was a, uh, a change for me. So when I got out of college, I started, I don't want to get co- start coaching. So I was, I was a uh, teacher's aide and you know, working with special ed kids, behavioral programs. And so I started coaching and I just coached the way I was coached mm-hmm. my very initial, very first season. Cause I was the very first spring. I was just kind of, you know, the, the guy who hired me just said like, went to UConn just here's these kids go mm-hmm. we'll be somebody right um and so I just did stuff no I don't know I, I never heard the word periodization mm-hmm. um again because again I avoided science at all costs uh, <laughs> right. in, in all versions of school and so then I just um got hired for indoor the next year with a different coach the, the indoor coach 
And he was a guy who had never done track in his life, um, but had gotten in the few, few years prior, um, a girl who was, you know, like a, a, a meal ticket, um, like one of those, like once in a, once mm-hmm. in a lifetime kids. Mm-hmm. And because he, and, he, and he, he did like distance. And so he said that you have to do right by this kid. And so he went and got his level one, went and got his level two, started making friends with different people so that if, you know, when he had questions and didn't know what to do, mm-hmm. he, he could call these coaches or email these coaches. And you know how um, generous coaches are with their time mm-hmm. uh, in this sport anyway. Mm-hmm. And so when I got there, he was like, you know, I, I want to kind of like let you kind of learn, learn. He was, cause he was, you know, in his early fifties. So he was at the point now where he wanted to be a mentor more than just like, this is my program and my team. Right. Um, and he just gave me this big box of, um, his level two stuff. And, you know, like it had all, I can still remember, I actually still have the box of stuff and it had like the old, um, all the different colored Lauren Seagrave speed dynamics tapes. Yeah. And so I just started consuming that. And then I started learning stuff like, you know, ATP and all that. And it's like, rest three minutes after running a 50, what are you supposed to do with that time? Right. What, what is this? It was a complete, I had never done anything like that before. Uh, and it was actually sort of antithetical to the way I was trained and how I thought. So it was, it was difficult for me to, to like train like that, you know, have recovery. Um, and so that, so then I was like, wait a second, this is how I train. And that's sort of like, oh, and I'm getting hurt. Mm. And this is like, all oh, that's like, you know, quality over quantity. I was like, well, wait a second. And then, then, then I was like, wait, now I must know everything. So, you're at this fork in the road because I think you're right. The majority of coaches probably coach the way they were coached, and we're not all blessed to have coaches who went on and did coaching education, which we'll get into here. Uh, but now there's still plenty of those coaches who get the gift that you were given, the box, right? And you mentioned the Seagrave tapes. Come on, man, those were those are classics, speed classic, dynamics, yeah. classic, classic, classic. Th- those need to be re-put back out. I don't know if they're on YouTube or not, but that's still like everybody has to watch those tapes, man. Those were awesome. Uh, I wore mine out a little watching so much, but you're still at this fork in the road where much like, and you're kind of getting into it there where you're like, you, you see this and, you know, recovery and quality over quantity but you still have a decision to make. Like you can still be like, uh, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't seem that that's not going to make them hard workers, (laughs) you know, and that kind of stuff. What drew you like, and maybe you were alluding to there as far as the, uh, like, well, Hey, I did it this way and I got injured. What, What drew you to like, okay, let me keep exploring that path, the quality over quantity type aspect. Well, I just, when I started learning, just learning about mechanics and things like that, I started to realize, Oh, this is why I keep pulling my hamstring, you know, because I was a, I was an overstrider, a reacher, a caster. People were teaching pawing back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and so I was, and I have like really tight Achilles anyway, like I, you know, so, or ankle, poor ankle mobility. Mm-hmm. So I always had soleus issues. I was always pulling my calf and hamstring. And, and then I started like being able to just understand maybe that there was a correlation, but I think fundamentally, I went and had some success right away. I had a kid that was, you know, again, the kid was going to be good anyway. Um, but I also was coaching at a school that was, you know, we're from class D, which is like the smallest schools, division four and Massachusetts isn't big anyway. So, so the school had, I don't know, maybe 800 kids in it. Um, so I started to realize that um, I, nobody cared when you get to these bigger schools with more people and more teams. And if I was going to go in there and we were going to win, and so I started really look a little bit more like at relays because I think, okay, well, maybe I don't have this one, you know, 
kid that's mm-hmm. a freak, but I can maybe I, I can out outwork or out coach or get away with relays. And maybe then I, I can, just found maybe, a, maybe I can have four above average kids though. And yeah, yeah, okay, right. Yeah. So I mean, that's yeah. so just I started to just look at it pragmatically and. And I just thought to myself, well, here I have access to this coach who wants to help and be a mentor. So when I have questions, I can go to somebody who's at least coached some people. Or if he didn't know, he would go call the people he knew. So I was getting, you know, like, you know, access from that standpoint. And I just looked at it really as, because um, you know, because you, you said a minute ago, like you had to make a choice. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know about this though. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, we can rest, but that, like, how, how do you get faster by standing around most of the time? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, density and all that kind of stuff, but you know, you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to get through ten times two hundred. Yeah, two minutes it. rest. <laughs> you know, like, what are we talking about? We're gonna yep. do six times one fifty with, right. you know, come on, man. And so, I, I sort of like like dip my toes in it was like mm, i can't do this the kids have a bad race oh they're not they're they're not in shape mm. uh you know that's i was still living in that in shape game in um, shape yep and uh but it started to get to the point where i realized wait I, I don't have enough talent around here i don't have enough numbers here i don't have the facilities here to uh coach like what my, my feelings mm. so i gotta figure out which is what works and if what works is different than what my feelings are, what do you want to win? Or do you want to feel like you're right? Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't to say I made some sort of, you know, had this epiphany moment where I just became sort of like the Buddha of, of coaching. I just started to like move in that direction and take notes and ask questions. And it started working. When you um, said take notes and ask questions, who are you, you have your head coach there who he's kind of early in his journey as well. So he, you know, he, not like he came from 10 years background of this, who are you talking to at this point or clinics? What, what are you doing when you say talk or uh, listen, who, who are you talking and listening to? So I was mostly talking to him and getting information, you know, backdoor through the people that he would ask the questions and then come back. Cause I, okay. I still was at a point, you know, maybe those first couple of years where like, I, I, you know, I never knew as much as I did when I was like in my twenties, <clears throat> as far as being smart and good at coaching, but I also wasn't confident in asking questions because I didn't want to look stupid. Mm. And so I would, I remember one time a coach who was just in my league and it was older than me, not too much older than me. And I sent him like, just like this, I don't know, microcycle or mesocycle. And he was like, this is fine, but it's, it's just very robotic. Right. Cause I was really, you know, like, it's not, there's no nuance to it. It's, it's just kind of just regurgitating the, the, the training science. And I don't know if it's going to like work that way in real life. And I was offended because I thought it was on point. Um, but over the course of time, I learned that, you know, he was right. There is a bit of, of nuance. You know, it's easy to say, don't mix energy systems. Uh, you know, and, but we said that a million times, but that's not my option with weather facilities or this kid's going to be late or, you know, if it's just, just me coaching mm-hmm. 50, 60 sprints, hurdles, jumps in the hallway, like I can't be, um, you know, too much of a, a slave to terminology. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I would ask, just start asking them. And then I had a, a friend of mine um, who wanted to start, started coaching. And so we, so we, yeah, we went and got our level one. Um, I can't even remember who did that level one. Yeah, anymore. I was going to ask, could you remember who the teachers were? Yeah. <laughs> I can't even remember anymore. Back then, um, uh, a lot of, you know, Lauren was doing a lot of them. Andrew Alden was doing a lot. Uh, Lori from Vanderbilt was doing a lot of them. 
and I may be showing my Southeast bias, by the way, because that's where all my classes yeah. would have been. <laughs> yeah, no, I did mine and it was in Long Island. Um, okay. I think, I think like Russ Ebbett, but he was like, yeah. not a, he, he, I think he, he did it. And, but it wasn't any other, you know, like a brand name people, like once you right, got to like, right. you know, level two or, or the Academy or whatever. So when you did level one, cause that's, I'm always fascinated by level one and level two, because level one, you know, they're very different in their um, stress and pressure, right? Meaning, you know, you, I think level one is 20 hours of class in basically one and a half days, if you will, two and a quarter days. So it's, you know, it's especially the Saturday, right? It's, it's all day. And if you're coming from a sprints and maybe hurdles background and they start talking distance and you're like, I did not come here for this, but I know I got to pass the, te-, you know, so it's, there's ins yep. and outs of your own arousal levels of what you want to pay attention to how, as you're going through level one. And as you finish the classes for level one, what were you like, what, what was your experience? Was it like, were you feeding from a trough and you're eating it all and you're just taking it all in or were there times where you're like, Oh man, I, maybe I picked this wrong. Maybe I should just go back to 10 by 200. <laughs> No, no, it, it, it was actually, it was more of affirming or reaffirming because now you're hearing it, but you're hearing it live. And it wasn't just me reading from a book or listening to a, my mentor who, you know, was right. But even, you know, even though I know he still did a lot of more volume stuff too, he's cross country coach and distance background I had never run. So it was, it was reaffirming. I mean, obviously I didn't care about the distance stuff. I didn't care about the throw stuff, mm-hmm. even a lot of the ancillary stuff I was not interested in, but the, the sprints, and I was like, I didn't hurdle. I was, mm-hmm. I mean, I jumped six one in high school, but I wasn't like a, I wasn't a jumper per se. Was that long jump or? Uh, yeah, six, I jumped, I jumped six one. Yeah, I was playing. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, well, cause people start talking about meters, which would be oh, also weird yeah. too. You know, when you, all my college coach friends, as soon as they start talking meters, my eyes just glaze over. Yeah. I don't know what any of that means. I mean, I know what 10 meters, 20 meters is, but I don't know what, you know, oh, they jumped 1.43. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, what is that? <laughs> that could that could be five feet or 50 i don't really have a clue right right again i didn't major in math <laughs> so anything close to it um so i lost track i don't even know what question i was answering so you went to level one and it's reaffirming to you so how, how it did is. you come off level one utilizing that it, well it, i think it sort of helped me it helped kind of you know move me more confidently toward because I understood why better you know I can read a book and I can read when, when you're in the classroom and it's being taught and it's being explained and they're giving examples um and going over the examples and if you're open-minded about it you know you're not you know I mean mm-hmm. I, you know again I was obsessed with being right that's I'm not gonna say I wasn't but I also really wanted to win mm-hmm. and so that just started to move me over and I just started consuming everything I could um oh. and so I just wanted to learn more. I mean, primarily just about the like, primarily about the sprints. I didn't really care that much about the jumps or even really the hurdles, even though I coached them. And I've always had a very like, you know, if you if I were to like pull out my resume, I don't really have a great uh, hurdle sprint hurdle like list comparatively because being in hallways and with kids that aren't that great, and being a big believer in the idea of um, like really shouldn't put kids in a race till they can three step. Mm-hmm. I don't want I don't want to create four steppers. That's creating a whole other problem. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I kind of like have the idea of shouldn't maybe not even let kids who are going to be hurdlers compete in the hurdles their freshman year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You go indoors and it's five, then all of a sudden it's outdoor and 10. That looks like a whole different thing. As someone who never hurdled, that just looks scary to me. Mm-hmm. That looks crazy. There's 300 hurdles. So I've done 300 hurdles and 400 hurdles based mm-hmm. on the state I'm in and that we changed in Massachusetts. So, um, but also just being in the hallways, even with breakaway hurdles, um, Man, I was just always nervous that someone was going to just take a header 
and um, hurt themselves and, you know, it's going to be like chiclets from teeth on the floor. And I just didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to create scared kids who were, that was just going to become a problem later. Um, and so like, I just really backed off a lot of the hurdles. We just did a lot more drilling and I was really young. Like I was still doing like half hurdle stuff mm-hmm. as like hurdle drills or like, like, like it was teaching hurdling as opposed to really just being sort of like a mobility exercise and a coordination exercise and a sort of spatial awareness activity. Um, so yeah, so I just, I just really tried to learn as I got better results, people started, I mean, I had like kids from other schools show up at my classroom after school and ask, Hey, can you help us? And so then I just, just wanted to learn more. So as soon as I got my three years of eligibility, um, I think it was two, but I lied. Um, <clears throat> I went and got my level two. Yeah. Where'd you do that one at? I did that at uh, UNC Asheville. Yeah. And it was uh, Dennis Shaver, um, Gary Winkler. Wait, 2004 in Asheville. Yep. Yeah, I was in your class. Were you really? Yeah. So I did jumps the year before with Boo. And then, yeah, Dennis and uh, uh, Gary. And who was the third? Uh, It was a a lady. um, Wasn't Lori, was it? Lori Shepard? I can't remember who it was. Yeah, I was in that class because that was the class I got pulled out. That's when I got the job at Mississippi State. The head coach came and pulled me out and was like, congrats, you're a bulldog. So I remember wow. that one. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Wow. Small world, man. Yeah. That's wow. crazy. Yeah. yeah. And that blew my mind. Uh, yeah. That really blew my mind because, you know, because Gary Winkler is some sort of genius, right? Like he uh, like, is a genius. Absolutely. There's a genius. Yeah. yeah. Just, you yeah. know, and then. And, 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 you know, and he was actually also did when I went to event specialist school, he, he was one of the guys that did that too. Mm-hmm. So that was just cool to see the change of the difference. Um, intimidating guy. I remember I used to live in Illinois for a while. And one time I went to the campus and I saw him there, but I was too, I was too scared to go talk to him. Yeah. And that was like, I was, I was old. I was in my late twenties. So I should have been not that afraid, but I was. And he's one of the nicest guys in the world. He is. <laughs> he really is. He really is. But he's just, he's, I, this is going to sound wrong, but it's going to come out wrong. But he's just got like a face that's kind of scary if you don't know him. Kind of like, kind of like I have been told I have. I have, you know, like RBF as they as they say. Okay. Um. So I just have a naturally sort of like angry looking face when I'm sitting there. But I might be like thinking about unicorns and show ponies in my head. So you talk to me, and I'm like, oh hey, how's it going? But people, I, I look mean. Um. You know, like freshmen are always afraid of me until they realize wait, this guy's not scary at all. I, I can see that with Gary because he always had his cowboy boots and his cowboy hat. So, I mean, he's just have a, a different look, you know, very skinny and tall. And then yeah. you, and then part of it too is you already know like what his resume looks like. So it's a little bit like, oh, like that. I can't talk to that dude. Come on, man. He coached me out of a wet paper bag yeah. crying out loud, you know? Yeah, I'm not going to waste his time with my right. nonsense questions. Right, 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 right. And so, huh. so yeah. So, yeah. So and that was like a, a mind blowing. I mean, I think, I think even they brought Gerard Mock in that uh, in that year. I think. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot all about that. Wow. Yeah. Right. So that was that was like that was crazy because I was you know I don't know how old I was twenty six maybe or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. and um, but then again, there it was just it more reinforced it, and that and now you're kind of at a point there where it's like, all right, well if this is what these guys are doing and saying to do, and there's where you explain it, like, who am I to not? The hard part was just yeah. learning it. And if you want to be able to progress it, like you have to, you have to study it. So like, obviously I hated the, I hated the science parts where they're talking about, you know, filaments and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. 
all that kind of stuff. And I could memorize, you know, mm-hmm. certain things. Like here's what ATP, the immediate usable form of chemical energy used and all, like I, but like I have a friend, my f- friend who coaches at Colby College, Dave Cassano, he is like a master's in exercise science. And he, mm-hmm. but he like, he's a football guy who coaches track, but he's obviously an excellent track coach, but he pretends that he's not smart. Um, but he really is super smart. So like we'll have conversations and he's like drawing like diagrams of science stuff like in his head because that's how he thinks and i'm like mm. <laughs> uh you know atp is immediate usable form of chemical so it's like i don't understand it on that level so i right so, so what was always interesting to me too was as you got older and started to become f- friends with more coaches high school coaches college coaches um is it like your your background surprisingly how much as much as i can learn i go to level two school and have the epiphanies and all that like your background really affects just like what you see and how you approach coaching like for me because i had so many injuries i'm a very big like mm. max velocity mechanic technique lower leg integrity you must get a foam roller and a lacrosse ball we're gonna roll out yeah. and do our feet and like saving our legs and not having shin splints and those kinds of things because i don't know the science i can't right i don't understand the nuances just sort of uh, innately about um especially when we get into like the lactic stuff mm-hmm. so even though i've had good success you know in the 300 400 uh event range i definitely don't understand it as well as a lot of other people do and i kind of like into like i never went over a hurdle so i understand hurdles sort of mm-hmm. sort of theoretically and mechanically but i don't have the experience of what it's like to see those hurdles coming at me so i can't really coach to that but i know what it's like to puke or almost <laughs> poop yourself after 400 so i can explain that and that's going to but it, i think it makes me a little bit more sympathetic to that, which is also why <clears throat> I realized that, um, and I think it's a lot different now because there's so many different resources and places you can go to get information if you're a coach. Whereas, you know, back when I started, there really wasn't, the internet was still very in its infancy in any meaningful sense. Um, and so I realized that, um, oh, dang, I just lost my train of thought. I had something good. Well, no, no, I, I think you're on the right track because I was going to ask you about that access to information because we're, we're roughly the same age. So we came through the coaching game kind of in the same era where, you know, we had the VHS tapes of Speed Dynamics. And now I can either go on YouTube and immediately find something that if it ain't Speed Dynamics, something very, very similar, or I can find a course by a coach, a college coach, pro, pro coach, uh, or now even today I can pick up the phone or tweet. I could tweet a coach right now, a high level coach, I, I can get Kaba Tolbert <laughs> in the snap of my finger where we didn't have that. What do you think about that difference of access now from when we started and call it the nineties to where we are in the, in the twenties? Well, I think, I think if, I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, everything evolves, right. But, but I don't think it's a coincidence how much faster people are. Mm-hmm. And even, even kids are, you know, I used to say when I first started coaching that I thought, and again, I was a little, you know, with complete track and field and, you know, I was pretty bombastic and opinionated in the things I said, particularly when I was younger, I was looking for a fight, looking for a hot take before people were even use, use the term hot takes. Mm-hmm. But I, and I said, but I believed it. It was not hyperbole that I thought that 80% of high school coaches were morons. Mm-hmm. Like they had no idea what they were doing. They were, might've been wonderful people and provide up, but they didn't know how to coach. They weren't good at coaching. It was volume and nonsense and basically treating, especially because where I live in the Northeast, most of your head coaches are distance people. Mm-hmm. So, and they would just, you would just treat a sprinter, like just sort of like a distance runner, but 
divide right. by the distance of the race or whatever. Right, right. They just run the hundred. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that's part of the reason, like, why complete track and field exists. Mm -hmm. Um, was, you know, there was so much information out there and even the information that you could find was written by gurus and it didn't apply to 15 year olds. Mm. So interesting. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons that I sort of became a name over the course of time in complete track and field was because I was, you know, good sort of if I had to aggregate all the nice things people have said about me, it's that you just, you take things and you just make it simple and easy for me to understand. You know, like, I think that's one of the great things about Abu or Kbert, even like all the, a lot of the best coaches, they could talk you into the ground in one second if they wanted to, but they don't. Mm -hmm. They kind of meet you where you are at. And so, you know, I think a lot of the, um, this, this might be a hot take. I know, you know, there's certain, there's certain things you're not allowed to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, you're not allowed to say out loud, even though um, every coach talks about it privately, but everyone's afraid or whatever. <clears throat> kind of like, you know, when, when we had the whole, I don't even get to it necessarily, but like the, the transgender mm. athlete issue, because up here in New England, because that sort of like started in Connecticut a few mm. years ago. And, um, you know, you're not allowed to have an opinion on that, but everyone's opinion is the same. Um, it's about fairness, but, you know, it's, that's kind of like what it was, it was about, um, whether we're talking about that or any of these other things, having the access but also it was like, uh, I remember I was at New England's a couple years ago. <clears throat> and uh, now again, causation is, correlation is not causality or whatever that phrase goes. Mm -hmm. And I saw this uh, team of four white girls win the four by one. And then they would win some of these other events. And I thought, you know, it feels like, because uh, there's an assumption going the course of time that like, you know, People of Africa, black people from a certain West African descent um, tend to be faster. I mean, it's not it's not an opinion. It's just, it's just what it is. You know, how much of a deep dive you want to go in? And so it's sort of assumed that you know black people are faster than white people. But as time has gone on, and so a lot, of, I think a lot of times in the past, you could like there was certain schools in this area, just based on the demographics, where you knew they were just going to be mopping up against like these suburban schools. That's part of another reason why I think I've done well because, you know. I, I know we're not supposed to be talking about resumes, but like I still, I coached a team that's the only girls four by one team in Massachusetts ever to go under 48. It was four white girls. And one time when they were at nationals warming up, some girls came up and said, what are you doing here? Aren't you the four by mile team? To give you a sense of what these girls look like, right? Oh. They did not look like a, you know, a, a 47, mm -hmm. you know, nine four by one team. But I've seen it like, so you just become like, you just roll out the balls with some talented kids and, and just, if you're gonna be fast, you're fast. Like I was probably just gonna be fast anyway. Would I have been as fast? Could I have been faster if I was coached different? Probably. Could I have been slower if I was different circumstance? Mm -hmm. Sure. But I just think that you, but with good coaching and people being, you know, doing things the right way, whatever you define right way, and there's lots of different ways to skin a cat, lots of different systems work. Um, you can make kids who like aren't that great into, you know, regional league, regional state mm -hmm. level athletes. And I think, um, that's been happening. So you're getting programs and kids that probably wouldn't have been competitive that are now scoring points and winning races um, that, that wouldn't have been the, the case before. And I think that's because of the access. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, I think sometimes track coaches are, are especially the, the elite levels are a little bit too willing to give away their time and energy because it, I think it devalues the perception of the, of the knowledge that they have, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to get, 
you know, any of these college division one, big time college or NFL coaches to do a, a, mm. a, a four hour webinar that you're only going to charge you 50 bucks. Right. Like that's just not going to happen. Right. But that's neither here nor there. So, well, I, I think to just I'm just a second with you because I think you hit on two important topics there. One is that coaching matters. Like, not yes. everybody's going to be a superstar because there are genetics, genetics and luck factors that that play into becoming Usain Bolt and Maurice Greens, etc. Uh, but we can all, all especially you know here we're talking about high school, right? So call it 14, 18 year olds. All 14 to 18 year olds can become faster with good coaching. So co coaching matters 100%. The, the impact you have right where your two feet are matters, right? And then the separate to second topic you started getting onto there is uh, call it the professionalism of coaching specifically in the sport of track and field uh, that we're talking about. In fact, there was just a tweet, uh, just a huge on Twitter. That's my kind of my jam uh, where they asked about, you know, if you have this specialized knowledge, would you charge for it to give it out? And to your point with like uh, Nick Saban, Nick Saban don't just show up on zoom and start talking about how he coaches DBs, right? It's like, Oh, you want to come to that? You, yeah, you know, it's a thousand dollars to come to this clinic or whatever. Uh, and same for others. And for uh, track coaches, we seem to be, um, Again, I, I think it comes down just to the professionalism of coaching track and field. The knowledge you have, the value you have is valuable. If, if we're going to continue to raise up the professionalism side of our sport, and that doesn't necessarily mean post-collegially. I'm just talking about the uh, the overall professionalism of the sport. Uh, we have to start acting like professionals. I agree. I mean, you know, it's already, again, I like how you said, you know, not just at the elite level, but mm -hmm. bring it up because at the developmental level, right? Building that base and that foundation is what's going to prop the kids up so they can have a, come in with a higher effective training age mm -hmm. and, you know, and be able to avoid injury or have a clue. I think maybe it was like a couple of years ago or something like, I, I could be wrong, but it might've been Carl Lewis who basically said he's got to spend like half a kid's career just getting them to learn how to run right because they mm -hmm. come in because they just, because again, if you're talented, a lot of times, you know, just, you're just going to go, uh, you're going to be fast anyway. And so you come in without any clue. Like I didn't, I came into college and coach said, warm up. And I said, okay, I just started static stretching. Mm. He's like, no, go warm up. And I was like, well, that's in high school. My warm up was first call 400. Oh, touch toes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No wonder you know, I didn't eat before meats, you know? So no wonder I was dry heaving. And this is back when I was in high school in like, like the state meet or whatever you had um trials and finals of the 400 in the same uh, day mm, yeah. um so like that could be like a four 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 day plus you know it's like oh, that's not fun when you don't eat and you don't yeah. warm up yeah. so um yeah but the professionalism all the way around and it's hard enough with track and fields in this country is already a second class sport it's already not it's already like a bridge sport mm -hmm. um or it's a uh, you know a, like a put on your put on your, uh, I did this activity or whatever. I remember one time I was at a, at a school and I heard a girl say, I'm only, I'm only doing track so I can fit into my prom dress, mm. right? You're just a personal trainer for them. And it's mm. like a go, go do fitness. So let me ask you, I, I've heard this, I, this blew my mind for the past several months. Now I've been uh, maybe over the past 12 months, because I'd never heard this. I, I, you know, I started, well, you know, obviously I ran high school. I started, my coaching career started in high school and I had never, like this, this never came into my vocabulary that this was even possible, but I'm hearing this, that this is happening a little bit to your point, what you just said there about the prom dress. 
coaches are complaining right rightfully so by the way I'm, I'm i'm on this train of kids that want to run track but then they don't want to compete they just want to do and, and to me that boggles me because like i was the exact opposite I, you know, I was terrible so uh i was the kid who's like trying to find, figure out any reason to miss practice but i ain't missed that bus on saturday like i wanted to go compete like i wanted to that was the jam that's what you did right are you seeing that as a high school coach is i mean obviously it's real but that just boggles me that that's real I'm not going to say it. I've seen it in some, you know, like overwhelming um, yeah, numbers, not. Right. <laughs> but I've seen it time to time or certainly there's been cases, you know, in different leagues and different situations I've been in. Sometimes you can only say run, put four people in an event, mm -hmm. even if it doesn't matter how many kids you have on your team, but it's like a, but you can run as many as you want, say in the 55 mm. or the hundred or whatever. Mm -hmm. But there were kids who were plenty happy to just get that 155 in and be done. Come to practice, do all the stuff, all this thing, and then not have to worry about it. Don't, don't care what their time is. Don't ask for their time. Um, kids or like if they're like, oh, I, have a, I don't feel good today. Do I have to run today? And it's like, well, why, why are you here? They're like, they just – I think it's also a little bit – and I don't have any evidence or data for this. <clears throat> we, this, is a, this is a team sport country. And everyone does team sports for the most part, but you come in and, and so you can hide potentially, you, but in track, you can't hide. Even if you're not good, uh, even if you're in the Z heat, I got you. you are out there by yourself running looking. That's why I don't put like, you know, I don't put, um, they would say, you know, never take your A sprinters and, or your B or your C sprinters and make them into hurdlers. Mm, okay. Well, what, you know, like I, I do that all the time. Mm. I don't have a choice. But that's why I don't put them in the race because there's nothing more embarrassing than a 14-year-old year girl going out there and being put in the hurdles and then you start clipping hurdles and you're falling down. Like, that's, right. like, I, that's, that's terrible. Kind of like I think it's shameful when distance coaches put, you know, a kid who maybe, you know, doesn't look like they should be out there mm -hmm. in the, you know, the two mile or mile, whatever, and they're yeah. getting lapped and they're basically walking. Like, that's embarrassing. First of all, to you, it makes you look like cold. Yeah. But it's also embarrassing for that kid. They're a teenager. They're, they they know everyone. This the sympathy clap. Like they don't. That doesn't make you feel good. That makes you right. feel embarrassed. Right. Um. So I think that you get exposed. So it's easy to you come in, and, but you can kind of hide in practice though, right? Because it's a group of kids doing different things. Mm. Like I'm generally like the only coach. I have one assistant, so I'm never with everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of hide. You can you know half as or what you coach. You can be smoking and joking in the back, but you get in that meet and you're out there and yeah. you have to do it. And so the shorter the race, if you can get away with it, then for some kids who aren't really there to compete, they're afraid to compete. They're afraid to look bad. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, and so I think that is one of the reasons why that happens. And, and because track isn't respected, right? It's, you're not out on the football field with the whole town watching. You're not in a big, in a gym with a basketball. Right. Eh, there's nobody really there. So you can go in there, you can just, you know, run for whatever, seven seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever, and then hide. You know what I mean? So like, you know, go off, do your homework and goof off. And so I think part of the, but again, I think it goes back to the respectability of track. Mm -hmm. It goes all the way back to, you know, if you have coaches who don't take the job seriously, because again, I didn't know if I was getting good coaching or bad coaching, say in high school, because right. there was no internet. Right. You know, you get, tra you get track and field news, which is the closest thing we had to like learn about track, but even the results in the back, cause you're looking like who's running fast, the results were from like two months ago. Mm -hmm. and, because, and, and they were kind of otherworldly. 
Oh like, yeah, because it's like, like top like, ten. Like where you're growing up, I grew up in Alabama, so kind of the same. Like you know, we didn't have a lot of talent specifically in our state, right? Uh, we, we had some talent, but then you know, every time we'd read those lists, it was always the California kids and the Texas kids and the Florida kids. So it was all like, oh, that's how they do track over there. My state, it ain't like that. <laughs> you know, it was, it was otherworldly oh, yeah. to me. When I was in high school, it was um, Obi Moore and Jerome Young. Yeah, Obi Moore. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, uh, now of course, you know, I don't know when that when they're. Uh, when they got the pharmacist, but my first ever college race was against Jerome Young. <clears throat> so I get to my, I get to meet with that Brown. I'm running the 500 because, you know, my, my college coach wanted to move me up until they realized I wasn't going to work. And I get there, I go to look at the sheet and it says, you know, Jerome Young seated, I think seated like 63 flat or something. And I said, well, that can't be the real Jerome Young. <laughs> That's impossible. It was. So I went out in that, uh, in that 500 and I went out in 49, eight to try to go with them. Uh, I had, man, I graduated high school when I was 17. I was young. I went out in 49, eight and I came back in a 20 <laughs> and I ran like, I don't know, like 69, 94 or something in that. And, you know, spent quite a bit of time puking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cause I didn't know how to run the race. That was dumb. And but I, I just, I also didn't think that somebody could be running that fast. So therefore I like, well, I, I should sort of go with him. Right. I mean, like, right. I'm here, I'm in college. I got a scholarship. Mm-hmm. No, that was dumb. That was a bad idea. He, it was, it was gross, but I knew he had run 45 in high school. So I should have known it was just, but uh, yeah, Jerome Young, first college experience, first race. I went out and got murked on by Jerome Young Wow. Um, and uh, puked everywhere. And it's, it's only uphill after that, man. It's, it only gets yeah. better. <laughs> it was, <laughs> It was embarrassing, but not, you know, I mean, my, did my teammates make fun of me? Yes. Yeah. Should they have? Of course. Sure. Um, is 69 in the um, 500 fast? No, never. Um, but that was what it was. But yeah, it was, that was my first race. But yeah, so well, it's, you know, it's what's type of the football one team I coached that ran 47 and a lot of places that wouldn't even get you out of your district. You right. know what I mean? It's just, it's just, that's just what it is. So up here, I ran 48 when I was 16. I thought I was good. I right. get to college and it's like, whoa, wait a second. You know, Latif Thomas is a, a dime a dozen because right. uh, there was no internet. I think even, you know, I said a lot with teams, like if you come into a bad program where say like, you know, the girls, the fastest girls are running 28s, then you think 28s fast. Mm-hmm. And so, the, so, you, so you, that's the frequency you're going to vibrate at. And if the coach isn't bringing kids fast, getting kids faster or explaining how you're going to get faster in a way that makes sense, then you're going to think 28 is fast. But if you're on a team where you come in and you got girls running 25 and 26s, well, then 25 and 26 fast and 28 is slow. So I think the same kid, you clone them and put them in those two different type of programs. The kid who just exists in the world where the expectations are different and the sort of the energy is different and the, the way the kids compete and practice is different and the way a faster kid carries themselves is different. Um, I had a girl one time who was a shy kid. She ended up being really good. Um, and she, we were at a relay meet or whatever meet and she came back in the four by two and, um, ran this, ran this girl down. We won the the race or whatever. And then she told the story where she went in, into the back into the gym to get her stuff and cool down or whatever. She o- overheard the girl say, didn't see her there. This this uh, girl, you know, the girl was, you know, from the city. Um, so sort of carried a different cachet when you're just a shy 
um, you know, 15 year old from the suburbs. She's like, oh, we're gonna win, but that anchor bitch came up and beat me. And so her nickname became anchor bitch and she loved it, right? Like, sorry, I'm not, not misogynistically, you know, I wouldn't be maybe different now, but like to her, that was like, oh, I can walk with my shoulders back and my head up now. Yeah, like gave her I, identity, right? Yeah, right. like wait a second, I belong here. Right, right. And right. so, uh, and then they start to carry. You start to carry yourself like you belong here. Mm. Um, and so, I think those are, those are important things. Um, but it but it comes from the coaches that are there. I, I love when I get a distance coach who buys one of my sprints programs and it's like, I've had to take over the sprints. I know it's not the same as distance, but I just want, I want to learn. And so you're just trying to help them understand the nuances differently. So I just always say like, it was kind of like with me, when I first started coaching, you get in there and you're like, Whoa, this is a lot. Mm -hmm. Where do I even begin? And I always just say like, take, start in a place that you're comfortable and just try to like focus on that and clean things up and go from there. But if you try to, master periodize the entire program from the from the jump uh it's, it's not going to go well so talk to me about let's get into this a little bit because what you were just describing there in the athletic sense was when the expectations are higher uh, appropriately higher by the way right like you said if you're taking over a program that uh, the school record is 28 for the girls 200 and so you have a bunch of 29 30 second years old and you start talking about 22s yeah. yeah, the expectation's high, but it's, it's it, again, it's otherworldly. You can't, like, kids can't even see that far, right? Uh, I, I remember when uh, regionals started coming around for NCAA Division One, and so there became this, like, hey, if, you know, the top 45 or whatever it was is going to make, uh, you know, regionals. Well, that became a bar. So more people started hitting the traditional 45 or 42, whatever the number was, right? Uh, indoor Division Ones, which every year I go to, and it's, it's an amazing meet. It's the hardest meet in the world to go to get to. You know, we only take, what, 16 per event, roughly. Um, and it's it's amazing. World records are getting set. And it's always like, oh, well, it can never get better than this. Like, we just saw the world's best meet. And then the very next year, more world records and more American records and collegiate records, et cetera, right? So when that bar is set high, people have a goal. They have an aim to go for, right? How are you? Talk to me about complete track and field because this is this is different, right? This isn't you're not just Latif Thomas, someone who speaks at clinics and um, you know maybe does a Zoom call every once in a while or whatever. You're actually building a business around coaching education, which has traditionally been USATF, which is awesome. I love it. That's where I grew up through. I'm a huge proponent. Uh, now we have USTF CCCA coaching education. Uh, while I haven't been through that, I know the people who write the curriculum and teach it. And they're amazing. So I'm a huge fan of that. Uh, Altus has come onto the scene and done an amazing job with coaching education. And now there's this big, I'm almost call it um, decentralized coaching education, meaning, uh, you know, the Chris Parnos and um, Ernie Clarks and guys and gals, uh, Kava Tolbert uh, are, are putting together clinics on their own outside of a, uh, an entity. Talk to me about what is complete track and field? Why did you start it? And wh wh what's the goal of complete track and field? Um, I started it um, because I thought that there was a better way for coaches to get educated. I thought that there was a sort of a, a lack of information for the developmental level. You know, it was all coaches, uh, coaching freaks and, and with access to them, you know, 40, 50 weeks a year mm -hmm. with long, with fall training and off seasons and, right. you know, where I'm from, you know, in New England, you indoor season starts the Monday after Thanksgiving. You have your first meet 
almost anywhere you are in less than two weeks, you're already in meets competing yeah. meets that count. Um, especially if you, especially if you have a league. So we started just to get more information out there. And at the beginning, um, it was mostly just me, just like, just puking out content. Um, and then I started, you know, asking other people. When, when did, when did you start this? So I, I started, we started, I started a different company with a previous business partner and I left and I just sort of took over a complete track and field, but this also, this started back in 2005. So when you're talking about putting out content, you're really talking about articles and blogs at that point, right? I mean, yeah, YouTube yeah. is, I don't know if YouTube's around actually, or it's just in its infancy at that point. Yeah, if it maybe. is. So you're talking about like a lot of writing at this a point. A lot of writing, a lot, a lot of writing. I was writing constantly, mm -hmm. um, tons and tons of, uh, of articles, a little bit of videos, but not as much back there at the beginning. Cause again, mm -hmm. there was really no good, there was no platform mm -hmm. to, to get it on the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, there was no, video players or, and I'm talking about YouTube, but like embedding it in your site or whatever. So uh, we didn't, we didn't have these little things, right? So you couldn't just, uh, I'm holding up a cell phone, by the way. Uh, so you can't just video a, a kid doing a drill and okay, now we put that up and analyze the drill. There, there's none of that. It's, it's right. Uh -huh. It's words only at this point, essentially. It's, it was words only at that point. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, some philosoph philosophical kind of stuff, some just, you know, just base, you know, standard, you know, here's how to periodize a thing just from my young person perspective, but I was getting results and, you know, we started, we, we wanted to treat it like a business. So we, you know, we were also going and studying um, internet marketing, you know, going and studying, you know, Corey Rudel, who was kind of the back at the beginning of, of internet marketing and trying to, you know, building a list uh, and, you know, sending out things like that. And then, you know, Ryan Lee, who was sort of a big pioneer in the mm -hmm. sort of like the sports, more like personal trainer kind of thing. You know, we started following him and going to like his events. And then we created a, a, a product the first one complete speed training um that was you know it was pretty simple and people just liked it because it was it didn't try to get too heavy um and go too deep so earlier you talked about this is going to be my words so you correct me where i am misspeaking here where you were a little uh, i'm gonna say scared i don't know if you use that word i'm so sorry to talk to a gary to ask questions um because you're like you know who am i kind of thing now this is a complete 180 from that type of attitude and feeling, right? Because you're 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 now exposing yourself. Like you're putting yourself out there. I read this article from uh, this Latif Thomas guy talking about speed training for the 400, and I think he's full of crap. And I get to now, like you're identified that way. I get to say, hey, Latif, I read your stuff. You're wrong. You're you're you know you're you're an idiot. Blah 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 blah. Right? Like you're really exposing yourself. How did you take that journey from? Yeah, I don't know if I want to ask somebody and waste their time <laughs> with my dumb question to, okay, I'm going to put out what I have learned uh, and, and to help distill it into a language for the developmental. I love that you took that angle instead of the, everybody wants to strive for the Olympics, right? But hey, where can I be the most helpful is on the developmental side. What, what was that turn for you that was like, okay, instead of, I'm going to call it hiding back, you know, staying in my, in my zone with my head coach learning things. Now I'm going to put it all out there. And it's it's my face on there. So if you want to throw eggs at it, here I am. There's no hiding at this point. What what turned for you on that? So that's a great question. So what turned for me on that was I was just you know starting to meet people and, and up here in the Northeast. There's a ton of colleges, yeah, densely packed like in Massachusetts, Rhode Island. So there's there was just people around. I would start to get to know. So you know you met a like a Ron Grigg at Jacksonville, but he's from two towns over. Um, and here in Sharon and like, 
he coached at Wheaton and man, Jakati coached at Wheaton. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I was recruited by Sousa to go to Wheaton and Dave Cusano coached at Wheaton. So like there's that, and that's 10 minutes from where I grew up. So, you know, so I started meeting these people, but also just in like the simple, it's so also I was competitive. I wanted to win. But then when my, when we decided that we were going to try to make this like a real business, I, I quit my job. Um, oh. I, quit, I quit my teaching job. Um, I moved back home with my mom. I was out on my own. Um, I moved and, and um, had a, a dollar in a dream, basically. Like I remember, you know, complete track and field originally was one of the first iterations. It was like a monthly newsletter. So we would mail you an audio CD with some interview. Um, and we would write a newsletter, a physical newsletter that we would send out. And I remember, you know, I asked Ron Grigg to, uh, to contribute to it. And he basically told me to go pound sand. Um, because it was just a concept that didn't even really exist and no one not. And so, and, and, and I say that because I know Ron will laugh and because we've laughed about it since. Um, and so I just was like, you know, I burned the bridges behind me. Right. And I didn't, I refused to fail at it. And so, you know, I had to become, learn how to become a, a marketer and write sales copy as well as create content, as well as actually get results because at that point I still had to get results I wasn't established people wanted to talk all types of trash about me on the internet I kind of liked that so I would I was happy to go go at it with people and and, and be combative with people um you know and then it just started to develop a little bit of personality there are people like my sort of sarcastic um style of, of of doing things but also I wasn't trying to be too smart but also I you know stayed in my lane and then you know we started making some uh, some money with complete speech training because I really started to look at myself as much as a marketer as a coach. Hmm. Um, this doesn't work, you know. People think if you just like if you build it, they will come, right? Well, I'm a coach. I'm gonna just throw this thing on the internet and it's gonna make all this money because I'm good at coaching. Look at my results. Well, that's not how it works. Mm -hmm. um, you have to understand, you know, like understanding, you know, getting traffic or buying traffic or you know, lead magnets and tripwires and you know, funnels and retention and cold lists and warm lists and cookies and tracker, like all this different stuff that you have to learn how to do um, and, and, and keep up with if you want to make a profit because people aren't just going to buy something right away. And so then it started to become a little bit successful, but people were still wary. And what happened was my, uh, maybe like 2006, we created, we went to these different coaches. <clears throat> um, it was um, Tony Vini, Boo, uh, Tony Vini, Boo, and at the time, oh, Cliff Revelto, mm. um, and we had like these complete track and field conditioning uh, books. We asked them, hey, listen, it was myself, two other guys, um, which we have different roles in it. And, you know, this is what our idea is. I was going to be like the marketing guys, other guys, people had different roles. And um, you write the book. We'll do everything else. And you just like wait for a check. What well, can we use you? So, we did that. We had that. We started it. And then one day I get a call from our vendor who like, cause you like printed the books on demand basically as orders came in and she's like, Hey Latif, you know, uh, cause I was also using her as, um, she, at the, at that point we had gone from not just like making like DVDs individually on like a computer or a duplicator and then bringing them to the UPS store and shipping them out every couple of days. We had a, just, we were moving up, making our way up. And she's like, Latif, you know, I haven't got paid. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you know, it's been like, it's two months now. I've been producing books. Like, when are you, when are you going to, you know, pay then? I'm like, cause that wasn't, that wasn't my role. 
Mm-hmm. So I wasn't paying attention to that. So I was like, what do you mean? And so what happened was the money had gone in because for some reason, I don't know why I was dumb. I, w- I wasn't running it through our business. just like the other guys. Job. So he was taking the money in, but it was like $15,000, $17,000. And this dude lived in Ireland. I won't say his name because I'm old enough now not to, not that I fear any repercussions of it, but just why bother? And he just, and he stole the money. That's real money. That's real money that this people this paid. This ain't a thousand, which, which by the way, that's real money for me right now. 15,000, this is real money. Yeah, because we put time and effort into the launch. So like that was like when the, you know, the, right. when you launch a product, that's when you get the most money. And then from you could whatever. Long tail. Get yeah. Into, yeah, you can get a marketing conversation too. Cause I look at a lot of like, running my team like a business looking at it that way as opposed to just like let's go run so <clears throat> so now the vendor didn't get paid i didn't get paid the other guy didn't get paid boo like so now i'm like i don't i don't have that kind of money to like front or like you know eat so i had to go to the so and this guy won't get back in touch with me i can't i can't drive to his house right so and you know hit him in the legs or whatever. Not that I would do that. I uh, so I, I had to like, that was one of the most scared I've ever been in my life. Sure. I had to say the vendor list is nothing I can do. I'm sorry. I don't have to tell you. I can't. I, um, but then I had to go to boo and Vini and, um, and uh, cliff and say, listen, guys, this is what I did. I said, listen, Here's the situation, right? Cause I'm young, you know, like, again, I mean, this is like my first big venture. I finally get the courage to get out there and start talking to these people and try to do a business venture with them. So like, that's a, that could be like a career ruiner. Cause you know, your reputation precedes you. I think success does well. Our clinic does well because we run a good, honest business. Um, and so I had to call these guys and say, like, listen, man, there's no money. So I said, look, here's the situation. It's all I can offer. It, Cause I, cause I didn't get paid either. Right. So it's not like, it's like, well, I took in some, but I got like, I got expenses. So now, no, everyone had to eat it. So I went to boo and, and I went to those guys and said, listen, um, there's no money. The guys stole the money. Nobody's got any money. Nobody got paid, hmm. but here's what I, what I can offer. I'm going to take it over the whole thing. Um, I'll do it all myself. If you're willing to like, just start from zero and I, and, and just, like just I know you have no reason to trust me, but trust me on this. I'll send you, you know, like I'll be completely transparent. I'll send you like a, a document about every month saying what the sales are. I understand anybody can make up numbers, especially because back then you can't just, you know, it's it's different now with affiliates mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I said and and just I'm gonna take it over, but if we can just all start from zero because we all lost here, I would, you know, I appreciate that. Which I thought, oh man, they're all gonna just go tell me to pound sand i'm gonna look like a scumbag because you you gotta go pick a different sport you're out of track and field buddy. i'm out of track and field no one's gonna trust you right because people start going to complete track and field latif thomas and boo and tony and cliff are like "Mm -mm, sketchy don't don't even done i've been i'm done if boo would have said i I told boo hey i'm thinking about having latif thomas on the podcast he said hey i I wouldn't if i were you like i wouldn't wouldn't even sec i wouldn't even ask why i mean that's how much i trust a guy like boo and you're talking about tony and cliff and i mean just legends of trustfulness and reputation it had been over I'm like oh, okay no problem so so what so what happened i mean how did you dig yourself they, out of this they were all and it was a testament to the type of people they are in general right you know those guys yeah. um they well i think i was 
I mean, I was since I came across as sincere because I was being sincere and I think they could probably hear like the trepidation in my voice. Um, but they all said, Hey, look, that sucks. We understand. Um, or, you know, individually, I understand. Um, I'm going to basically give you another chance and, and try to do this. Um, you know, I didn't cut and run, you know what I mean? Or like, I didn't start making, I didn't, I, I ate it. It's my, it's my responsibility. It's my fault. I was, so you didn't hide, just, right? Yes. I said, please trust me in the, at the outset. Um, and you know, wow. And then, so they all agreed to continue to do it. And then, you know, I was like, you know, obviously like very diligent about, and so that's what, the, for me, that's when it was like, you know what, I'm going to, you know, I don't think I really knew it at the time, but I was like, I have to be as transparent as possible all the time. So, which, which wasn't like, I wasn't going to be because I sort of believe in sort of like what goes around, comes around kind of stuff. Um, and so it just, you know, and then kept marketing. They would get in money every month and they didn't have to do, it was like all front loaded, right? They didn't have to do anything. Um, so then I just started asking them to, then we started, you know, the internet was coming along and we were deciding to sort of make bigger programs, um, more sort of built out programs. And so they would start doing those programs for me and, you know, making some money. And, you know, then I had uh, Scott Christensen do, do a, the, the distance book. Um, and then, you know, I've, made over the course of the years they've helped me and i've helped them and i think it's improved the sport and improved you know i know scott has said many times like just being in that book has gotten him you know speaking and things like that because it's just i have found that and it's a little bit different now although still not enough or at least not in large enough dollar amounts coaches want to be paid for their information but it's like especially because i also kind of came up in a um in like the, the in a world of like personal training studio uh, fitness facility people like people are just afraid to ask for the money mm. they're afraid to ask for what they're worth right so you're afraid to say i'm going to do this you know webinar or whatever and i'm going to charge 100 or 200 dollars for it because that feels like a lot and track coaches you know you know always oh we don't make enough and that's true with the collegiate level but you know teach it like i get i i've coached multiple different teams i know what the budget is mm-hmm. i fund I, I pretty much have always funded the program by myself with my own dollars um you know so you know i can totally understand that and so in just in doing that we built up more and more and the the programs are good so i get like a very low sort of like, i don't know what industry standard is for like this industry because there's no numbers on it but just in terms of just you know knowing internet marketing most of my most of the returns we get are because people forgot that they already had it because everything's digital now okay. so um it's good products made by proven coaches who and i say like i'm not i don't know how much money you're gonna make off of this i have no idea mm-hmm. but do this and this and you know we cut the deal or whatever and then they create the programs and then it's helped people get recruits it's helped people you know do all these different things the information has helped teams the number of all over the world i've got to talk to people that come you know that uh that buy the programs and, and love the content and uh you know help people that way but just by making things smarter but i just got to the point where circling back to your original question I, i've made that switch because i said i'm going to make this work and, and figure it out and i just kind of copied like the internet marketing model i mean i think part of the issue now is it's funny back then so let's just say like i don't know like 2006 7 8 9 10 that kind of reason. like man we used to have like a ton of affiliates other people that would promote our stuff 
and you know get a cut because that's how the business world works you know some people are like oh you promote this thing just because no i don't promote anything that i w wouldn't buy myself mm -hmm. uh, i'm not doing any snake oil i'm not i'm not you know selling whatever and um and i'll be affiliated other people's programs and that just sort of dried up um even with the advent of all these other people and i think it's been sort of like with the internet and people you know branding themselves and again i have no evidence of this it's sort of been like one of the things i heard in marketing which i liked you know, like the, all the, the big internet marketing gurus um did was when one of them would launch a product everyone else like with their product launch formula uh, jeff johnson kind of stuff they would all launch it or all get in on the launch at the same time and you know to get you know so if i want you to buy from my link I would give you some other free stuff. And then this guy would give them his own free stuff. And it was all under the idea of like, um, there's an infinite amount of pie here, right? And we can all get plenty if we all work together. But I feel like a little bit now it's like, there's this finite amount of pie and I got my, I gotta get my slice. And if I give you, if I promote your thing, now that person on my list is gonna go to you and I'm not gonna get my slice. So I gotta keep my slice and keep my slice and keep my slice. And so it's just, it's, it's weird to me to see it, it done like that because um, not only could we all, and again, it's a bit, I'm running a business here. What's the purpose of business is to make money. So like, you know, if you're like, well, will you just, no, if people didn't like the products and I wasn't putting out a good service or doing honest business, I couldn't get these people to create programs for me right. and people would just return them and never buy again. Hmm. So, you know, so if, cause if people were working together, I won't name all these different organizations or people and said, well, if they like my thing, they might like your thing and you're going to get a slice of that. But it's also maybe someone that didn't hear of you or your site. So they're going to get, they're going to learn more. So we're helping the sport overall by everyone sort of working together and being affiliated with each other's stuff. Like I wouldn't ask anyone to sell one of my programs to their list without cutting them into it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and I, I, I really do anyway. I, I love that attitude. I, I'm very much uh, in step with you in regards to that success is not pie, you know, uh, depending on how big my piece is, is how much other people, how, uh, I should say how big someone else's piece is affects the size of my piece. You know, right. I've had people, you know, I, I, um, I like to um, publicize if, if that's the right word, uh, other people's podcasts that's in track and field. And I've had people message me like, Hey, why did you like, aren't you in competition with that podcast? I'm like, no, I'm really not. First of all, if you're a podcast listener, you're probably listening to more than one podcast. <laughs> yeah. So if I, as long as I'm included, I'm happy. Uh, but there may be value in someone else's that you may come back to mind because of the value you learned from that person. So uh, I, I like that, you know, success is not pie that the success you have does not affect the success that I have. In fact, it may be in a negative way, it doesn't affect me, but it may actually be in a positive way. Like if, if we build podcast listeners in, in that example, other people will come listen to my podcast here at Gill, right? And so if other people are interested in coaching education and improving because they learn from someone else's platform, well, that's going to benefit complete track and field because they're probably going to eventually stumble into what you're putting out there and start becoming a customer of yours as well, because they are into coaching education. You know, who doesn't buy coaching education products, people who are not into coaching education. <laughs> yeah. So if we can build yeah. more people into improving themselves well that helps the companies and yeah it helps those. everybody man it's not it's not zero sum right and Amen. i think that and i think that we it, it feels like it's very zero sum mm -hmm. uh, in the industry for the most part i mean you know 
I mean, some, really people, have... some people have that attitude for sure. I, I remember, maybe you remember this because you were probably involved in some form or fashion when USTFCCCA started coming out with their academy. That's not that old, right? That's probably 2011. 2011. Yeah, so 2011 was the first one. You know, a lot of people who were on the USATF side, which I, I was a teacher of USATF level ones back then. It was a little bit of like, oh man, is USATF coaching education going to go down now? Like no one's going to go because they're all going to go to the, the academy. And, and I think USATF coaching education has hit record numbers almost on a yearly basis while USTFCA Academy is also growing <laughs> and hitting record numbers. So it's people who like coaching education. I don't want to say they don't care where the numbers are or the letters are USATF versus USTFCCA versus they, they want to be educated by smart people. And so if it happens, this course is over in this letters and this is courses over in this letters, that's fine. I just want to be educated and get myself better. So uh, I think you said it earlier, you know, the, the rising tide, we, we make the whole sport and the, and the profession of coaching track and field all rises when we're working that way. Yeah. And I think it, it, it does. And I, and then I remember one time, at a school I was coaching at, right? I had kids were just kids were quitting their other sports to like do track or even like train through the fall for track because you know it became I only do track to get in shape for soccer, I only do soccer to get ready for track. I got kind of like pulled into the AD's office and he said that, you know, these kids quitting these other sports, like it hurts all these other sports. And I said, like, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, it's like, it's like, I said, it's a little bit, it's a bit socialist. And I said that not politically in any way whatsoever. I said, because if the kids are quitting, like in a, then, and, and more kids are doing track and they're quitting other teams. Well, then the other teams aren't doing a good enough job of retaining their kids. And so if either they're going to complain about it and they're going to lose kids or they're going to run a better program step, step up mm -hmm. and, and, and keep the kids there. It's like one of the things that made me. And so that's kind of like my, my philosophy there is if we're all sharing information and we can all get better, at least for me. And again, it's like, I know I might be sort of a bit of an outlier just because of how hardcore I've been for so long and, and especially running a business and thinking like a business person too. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to, if I see other people buying stuff or talking about things, I'm like, well, now I got to buy something else. I got to buy more stuff. I got to learn more things. I got to get better. When I see everybody else getting better around me and kids running, I'm looking at kids and being like, there's no way they should run those times. Um, I'm not going to go, well, that's not fair because mm -hmm. he has a bigger budget. And they can, like, like, I don't go, oh, well, I don't have an indoor track. I, I don't get a head start. That's not fair. Um, so I think it's, think it's, it's going to help everyone. Uh, get better in that sense to just run a better program. Like I realized somewhere along the way, I know, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I think I'm coming full circle on that point. I was making about you starting complete track and field. Cause we talked about the athletes and their expectations, right? I think that's kind of the, that, that's what I'm getting from you, especially now here in the origin story of complete track and field, you're raising that expectation bar on the coaching education of specifically high school and, and developmental coaches. It's like, I, it's hard for me if I'm a high school coach for track and field right now, and I don't know anything for whatever reason, either I just, I'm coaching like I, I was coached or I was a football coach and now I'm made to coach track and field. It's hard for me to sit back and use the excuse of, well, I don't know. There's no way to learn how to coach track. I don't know. I don't even know where to go. It, it's hard to have that excuse when you have the library of what complete track and field has out there for you. It's like, 
dude, it's, there's, there's some pretty simple things you can do to start getting better today. So you're raising that, that, uh, that expectation uh, of the programs, not just any one program of all coaches uh, with what you're, with the work you're doing. Yeah, that's the goal. You know, I look, I look at it and I say, you know, like, man, I wish, I wish this had been available when I was a kid to oh, my a- coaches. Amen. Amen. And for myself, how much, I mean, I know like, you know, even, I mean, you know, everything like 48, eight was fairly fast in 1995 t- terms. It doesn't carry the same weight now, but I think for the reasons that, that we're talking about, but I thought, you know, like, I know that there are coaches who want to learn. Let me I provide this resource. And as I started to have access to more people, and then again, to the thing about the, those books and everything, people know that if they do business with me or do a program with me or create content or whatever, that, you know, they're, I'm not doing shady business and taking their money. And um, I run a good business. So you're not, people aren't going to be like, Oh, you, you, you're doing stuff with him. Like he's, have you, have you heard this or that or that or that, which I can't say for everybody out there in the world. And so just, you know, raising that bar all the way up makes, you know, hopefully everybody wants to be better. And if you're competitive at all, um, even if you're like one of those people that thinks like, well, I ran fast, therefore I didn't, I didn't know how to coach. I mean, there's always going to be, you know, the information vampires or the people that think they know everything already. Um, but I have to, based on the results of the world that we're seeing, I think people are starting to go, oh man, I gotta, I gotta up my game here. I gotta do something different. I gotta become a better coach or learn more, you know, look, some people are never going to spend more than $0. Some people are never going to spend more than $9, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, I know that the, I know what the average amount of money that a customer spends in their lifetime, uh, which is more of a marketing thing than whatever. And, and some people are just like, I can't get co- content, you know, like the, uh, the Pareto principle, right? Like 80% of my money comes from 20% of my customers. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of those people just can't buy stuff fast enough. I can't get content. I can't get new products out fast enough because they know what's good and they want to learn more and, you know, you consume it and you use it. And then, you want to move on to the next thing, mm-hmm. but you always know you can go back. You know how it is. You go back and listen, watch a program or whatever. It, <clears throat> you learn something different because at that time you either didn't have the kids that were having that problem or needed that solution, but now you do. So you look at it differently. So it's a resource. So I think, you know, everyone should get smarter. I think we should do a better job. And I guess I could probably do a better reaching out to more people and trying to get sort of in cahoots with, with more people to raise the game overall. But I just, you know, I just want, <clears throat> I love the sport. You know, I, you know, I love how nice the people in the sport are compared to other sports. Um, you know, I think that's what really made me fall in love with, you know, I came from a very not diverse school in town and uh, I was, you know, when I got to high school as a freshman, I think there were school probably had maybe close to a thousand kids in it and they were four black people. Wow. I graduated. There were nine uh, total, including, and, and I count us mixed kids in there in that number two. So, but when I got the track, mm. these kids, uh, my one first day track, we were going to go do high jump practice, but the high jump mats were all the way inside school. And so the coach had to take the two high jumpers or, or three high jumpers to come teach, teach me how to high jump. Right. And based on my experience in that school, I, and I had to go to the gym. So I'm going there and I'm thinking to myself, oh man, these kids are going to, they're going to either beat me up or they're going to, you know, lock me in a closet or they're going to roll me up into a mat or like, like this is, this is, I, I know this game. So I'm going there like scared and 
the first thing we did was like, okay, we're just, now I don't approve of this as a coach, but the first thing we did was just, we just lay down the mass and just sat there and did nothing for like 20 minutes. Just like basically took a break. You were, uh, you were normal high school kids. That, that's yeah, what that tells kids. me. That's what oh, nobody's me. looking at us. Let's hang out for a while. <laughs> and, but, but they were also, they were just nice. And then here's how you jump. We started jumping. I mean, you know, one of them uh, also went to, he was all American high jumper. He was a six ten high jumper in high school. Mm-hmm. And um, which is, you know, again, in 1995, that's Huge. different than, than yeah. now. And uh, you know, he became one of my best friends in the world. Um, but, that's cool. but that was the experience. The coach was nice um you like you'd, you'd finish races and people are like shaking hands and like it was it was like the coming from a place where that was hostile to me or i felt i was in a hostile environment not just in sport but in every aspect every time i left my house to be in that place where everybody was nice and you competed hard right and you came to win and i only let you beat me and or, or whatever mm-hmm. um but at the end, everyone was just nice to each other. The yeah. coaches seemed nicer. The kids seemed nicer. The the atmosphere was better. It was more enjoyable. And so when I kind of got out of college and, you know, started coaching, I wanted to kind of create the atmosphere in my programs, which I think a lot of co- sometimes coaches that get mad at me in the schools I was in thinking I was stealing kids as though I was like, had like a 10 point, like I was like recruiting them. Hmm. I'm recruit. I'm not going to recruit anybody because I don't want. I don't want you recruiting my kids, which you were doing anyway. Hmm. Um, and so I just wanted that kind of environment. It kind of, I think, one of the reasons we talked earlier about, you know, once you started learning to not coach how you coach, I started was, you know, also, and then think of things like a business. You know, track's not fun. Like, you know, it's just not fun just in the sense of like, I was a 400 runner, right? So like, if you're not good at the 400, the 400 is not fun. The 400 got fun when I started whooping on people. Mm. Then I, then, then I could deal with the pain, right? Cause the 400, like almost, I mean, I, I puked so many times I couldn't even count. Um, but like, you know, it's, I mean, sometimes you don't think you're going to go to the bathroom on yourself when you finish that race. It hurts so bad, especially, you know, if maybe they're not specifically fit for it. And so I just, so I realized, you know, quality over quantity makes for a lot more of a fun practice right like mm. i remember i got to one school yeah. and i wanted this girl to come out who had quit who was good and she was like oh i gotta do geometry work get my grade up and i knew she was lying to me and then when she came back eventually she said yes i was lying because the previous coach had just like ran them into the ground right and so she just didn't want to do it and so like for me because like with all due respect to everybody <clears throat> if you're a primary event 100 200 runner your life's never really that hard um, there's a lot of technical stuff and all that, but like, you know, but like the long sprinters and I had like 600 runners in my group that, that like didn't want to be distance runners, but probably, so they had to do some more work and you got to girls have to do a little bit more volume, whatever. And, um, you know, they just like, they hated it. Mm-hmm. But then as I changed over in time, I, they knew like the 400 runners, they knew that like Tuesday was going to be their suck day, right? Like. Mm-hmm. We're gonna come in on Monday. We do speed work, just sort of traditional, you know, whatever, whatever. Tuesday for the long sprinters was gonna be like that, depending on time of year, intensive tempo or you know specific endurance type of day. That's gonna be their suck day. Mm-hmm. So they knew it coming in, and those kids when they come in that day, you know, they're a little bit quieter because they know it's gonna hurt a little bit. But also, <clears throat> just because you know, if you if you're mastering your system, those workouts were like again, they weren't 10 times 200 with 90 seconds rest. It was, you know, four times 300, five by 200, 
with whatever four or five minutes rest. So they stank, but the volume was always like 900 to 1200 meters total. It never got so bad. We're like, you know, I know for myself growing up, like you're like doing the math in your head <clears throat> and try to Jedi mind trick yourself to the, through the next rep because it's awful for them. They kind of knew like, so let's say we're doing four times 300. First one, fine. Second one, you're starting to feel it. Third one kind of sucks, but you know, you got one left. Now you're gonna do other stuff that might not be the funnest thing in the world, but you know, and so like, that's how I build my programs over the course of time is that track goes from being that thing that sucks to, cause it's just not fun to practice, practice forever, everything hurts. Again, it's just exercising. So being like the atmosphere was fun, you're getting better. Um, and practices aren't that long. I mean, I used to run super long practices when I was younger practices aren't that long and so now the environment is better so kids want to come out it's easier to get their kids out the best recruiter especially for me having not been a teacher i'm never in the school so i can't see that kid or get in that kid's head and make a joke or go to the gym or whatever right. i'm not there so i have to get the kids to recruit for me they have to make the, the program something that they want to tell their friends about to come out and come do this and again as i've gotten older like look, I don't care if you are just doing indoor and you're not going to do outdoor, just come do indoor and be a short sprinter. Look, okay, fine. You really have your, you really care that much about your lifting program. Fine. Do that. Just you know, follow the rules of the other stuff because it's a second class sport. Sometimes you got to make a little bit of compromises here and that the basketball and the football team don't have to make because they're basketball and football. They're the revenue sports as a non-revenue sport, especially if you're getting started and you want to get kids out. Once you hook them, then they can hook the other people, but then you can grow and then you can start to get maybe a little bit more stringent or have different expectations. Now you can be like, listen, would you go, would you go away to Disney world um, during soccer season? No. So why are you leaving during my, the middle of my indoor season? Right. And it makes sense. At first. So, um, so I just think that, you know, making the atmosphere fun, the environment fun makes for a better program. And you can do that without, without running kids into the ground, you know? And so I think that's been fun for them. If you're a new coach right now, hit the rewind about 30 seconds because what he just said right there super important if you can make the atmosphere fun and inviting that'll take care of the recruiting right there first of all but i also believe that will help your kids get better they'll actually run faster and jump farther etc latif man as we start to wrap up here i got three kind of rapid fire questions for you all right you ready for this you're in the hot seat uh, you, you want hot uh, takes here we go we got hot uh, takes right here let's do it did you ever, question number one, did coach ever in college uh, get you to, Coach Roy, did he ever get you to run an 800? Did you ever run an 800 in, nope. in, a, in a meet? Never. Nope. Was the 500 the, lo the closest you got? 500 was the farthest <laughs> I went. And, that didn't, and then he said, wait, you know, I don't think so for this guy. So now I'm back down where I belonged. Uh, question number two, there's, uh, I want to call it a famous picture of you. It's the picture I see of you of the most, of you and Usain Bolt. Yeah. pointing at you like you're the man because you are the man give us some context on that photo man when did you get to meet the the great Usain Bolt so I um the, the funny thing about that picture is you know obviously I look it looks like my son in that picture at this point um I think I think that was like 2008 I think I was like 29 at the time people will say to me all the time this is like not that I am one but just to say never meet your heroes because in that picture I'm taller than Usain Bolt so then people see me and I'm 5'11 and they're like, but what happened was, so they're always like, oh, you're less anything you're, that I you're less. What a disappointment. <laughs> I thought you were going to be big and imposing and you're just a guy. <laughs> so what, what happened was, um, it was actually really cool. 
there was so I was friends with the um, friends with the um, at the time I think he was maybe like the marketing director for Puma or something like that. So he was with Usain Bolt a lot, and so there was a uh, they had like a Puma Boston street meet. Oh yeah, and uh, back at the time, and because you know I was friends with him, I got to be um, like security for Usain Bolt and like the other Jamaican athletes that were there and whoever. So my job essentially was like, I mean at first mostly what I was doing was uh, he's like, go talk to that, go bring that girl over here, go bring that. <clears throat> it was, it was a lot of that, a little bit of like blocking him, you know, for people trying to like run up on him so he could just like relax sure. there. But at one point, this is where the picture came from. We were basically the Puma had all these, like these bikes. And so they wanted to like go ride these bikes around. So myself and a couple of the people were basically just like following them on bikes. Cause they're just like riding around the city. Wow. um on these bikes so that's, that's what we're doing so we're just like hanging out with them for the day we stopped we got some food um because i knew the area and um i mean man I, like i i wasn't out of sh like i was still in pretty good shape then but just it's just funny just you know because pedaling the bike is still like not like running but not not like running and he, he would just get up because it was it was like a it wasn't like a 10 speed it was like a one gear bike just a bike he would just start pedaling and it was and like just they would just be gone Cause he just runs so fast. He just hammers just the bike. So and just power. Take yeah. And so it was like, it was amazing. I just like could not keep up uh, with them. And then really all they wanted to do was like ride as fast as they could and basically like slam on the brakes and just do like <laughs> burnouts. Like they like could do in the sand when you're a kid. Like that's really all they would, the speed was just for that. I mean, like they, awesome. like they broke a couple bikes. We did like call back and get some, bring that like, so that's where that picture was came from. We would stop somewhere and um, I got like a, not even a selfie. Um, I think I, I even had an iPhone then, but maybe I yeah. did. But but yeah, so that's what that that's what that that famous picture of me and you St. Bolt is from. I was security at uh quote unquote security at a street meet and just got to hang around with you St. Bolt all day. That's cool, but yeah. Did you stop at McDonald's and get chicken nuggets? Because that's the other thing that's famous <laughs> we didn't, for him. Yeah. We didn't, but no, but he because uh, just because it wasn't near one or whatever. Um I think we just stopped and got I think it was like a little burger place but like a little sot like a hole in the wall not like a mcdonald's kind of place um no chicken nuggets but yeah so that was that was a fun day that was a fun time and last question man i'm such a huge fan of coaching education right i think better educated coaches make better educated decisions uh so talk to me tell us as we wrap up what's the future for complete track and field how do you continue i, I love the journey I, I almost i almost love that you got in the the gang got ripped off like i almost love that because of mm. how you had to really kind of I don't even say dig deeper, but like you had to really get resourceful and your, your relationships got real stronger because they trusted you as well. You know what I'm saying? Did, so yeah. I kind of love that. It's kind of weird to say that I know, but so what's the future look like for complete track and field for coaching education, specifically on the developmental level? Well, the future is, you know, to continue to, to do what we're doing, I'm going to kind of like the new year, get kind of have some ideas of what we want to do, but just get, see what people want, the kind of content that people want. So, you know, have these the full skill of programs that we were doing, but newer, but also some, you know, like Ron Greg has that wicked drill program that's very just focused on that particular thing. Some more of those probably take advantage more of, you know, content wise of doing some more interviews, not like a true podcast, because I just don't have the, like the energy to like all, for all that, but just, you know, for content purposes and doing some of those live ones, especially with like customers. So they have that access. I think that's one of the things people like is like when you purchase a program, all of your programs, you have this, you know, it's a, your own private account. So all of the programs that you have are available to you in there. So, mm -hmm. but you can, you know, everyone has agreed to answer questions. So whether it's Boo or Scott or whoever, um, 
you have a question, you can post it in there and they'll, they'll get back to you with an answer. And then you can read all the other questions if you're like, you're maybe that kind of person that doesn't want to, uh, to put your name out there or whatever. So we'll do more of that. And then another area I want to, again, we want to, I just texted with Mark Mangiacotti from Harvard today of trying to look at the dates. Finally, after two years off of running our summer clinic that we run at Harvard every summer, um, that, you know, we get a ton of kids for that. Um, we sell that out every year. When I say we sell that out, that's not like a, a, that's not like marketing nonsense. Like we have a, we have to always be aware that it might rain all day. And so where are we going to put all these kids? We have to be in lightning safe places. And so you always have to, uh, you know, I could probably get 50% more kids if I just made it like just herding cattle. So we have hard caps on the event group sizes. And once we hit it, we hit it. And so like the sprints is always going to sell out early and people learn at the beginning, people say, you know, um, you know, like they think that I'm kidding. But I'm like, sorry, I can't let you in. Like I can wait for someone to drop out and they learn and they'll come. So every year people come back and say, I learned my lesson last year. You weren't kidding. I just thought, oh, you know, it's like, we don't take walk-ups. Like we're usually like a month or so in advance because it's a big event. That's why we only do one of them a year. Right. Um, and we have really good coaches and people that come from different, all over the country, but just outside of the country as well. Um, so, but obviously with the pandemic, we've been off for the last two years, mm. um, which is, you know, as you can imagine when you're, got you know 450 some odd kids coming that's been a bit of a a, a, a kick in the pants for my financials over the last two years to lose such a such a big chunk of my of my revenue so you know to get back and get that event going again as kid as things hopefully go you know get back to being sort of what we remember and then i think you know part of coaching is is mastering your program so what i want i want to start doing more programs that are less just you know periodization but like i think when you know your program, how do you continue to get results? And I think it's it, it's going to be. I'm going to start doing more things and events around. Basically, as I said quickly earlier, running your team like the business of coaching, running your team like a business. Um, what are your systems? What are your checks for your systems? People, how do people run their programs? High school coaches, college coaches. Um, you know, how do you get organized? How do you you know like deal with parents like those kind of things that are more than just the x's and o's of coaching because a lot of running you know, do you do, do you know how many bullet belts you have or do you know how many hurdles you have and where are they and which ones work like you haven't you know so that when you go to practice you don't have to waste 20 minutes digging out of the back the kids know what the rules are so you don't have to deal with you have these meetings with the ad because you weren't clear about the rules and the parents aren't clear you have a meeting do you have a, a, a book how do you manage meets and lineups and like all these things that aren't so I think there's a whole sort of different world of, you know, uh, man team management and organization and uh, the other part of coaching that no one talks about as much, especially I'm friends with so many college coaches. And it's just funny how little part of their day is the actual of their job is the actual coaching. Mm -hmm. There's so much admin and, and um, you know, fundraising and all the meat and rec recruiting and all those kinds of things. So I just think that as coaches get better and start to understand and we have, you know, we do have so many programs um, we have to update, but I think there's a whole other world of, of uh, information that is going to make teams better when you start to uh, look at sort of the systems under which that allow you to get in out of practice in two hours or not, or get to everything that you had planned that day because you don't have to waste time setting this thing up or you're not losing track of that. Um, or, you know, do you have your warmups printed out? So, and, and, you know, those kind of things, what are your systems for teaching? 
So I think that's the, sort of the, the next level um, with that and just maybe you know a little more consulting and just just do what we've been doing, trying to provide good information for coaches and let you know the people sort of dictate what they want and what comes out next um, and just you know be able to have it all organized in that in that one place and continue to um, and to continue to help improve. you know I'm not interested in trying to do certifications. I think there are great ones already and I think that, Although I see a lot more high school coaches going and getting um, event specialists and USATF or whatever, I think it's different if you're like a personal trainer or those or like you know facility for, yeah. or strength coach or those kind of things matter more specifically the alphabet soup for whatever the different mm -hmm. reasons are. I think a lot of high school coaches don't need that as much. It's not going to do as much for them to be certified. I mean, I know like in some states, like when I was in Rhode Island, you had to have a certain level of certification to coach. I think it was like the whatever the national high school one, which I got which I took way back in the day, mm -hmm. but I think I got grandfathered in because of all of my other certs, but, um, but I think, and that's just, that's just what I want to do. Continue to provide good information and resources for coaches and provide access to sort of my click of coaches to, uh, to continue to answer questions and help improve the sport, make the sport better so that people start to look at track as a, something they want to do and that they, in their school and their program and, they respect it as a sport because of their experience with it and their experience with the coaches they had in it. Um, and, and, and just, you know, continue to evolve and, and expand. Well, I like that holistic approach to it, not just the X's and O's, how to coach. That's certainly important, uh, especially as you attack the developmental level, not the uh, you've got them 365 days a year level. Uh, and, and those are important too, but there's other resources and, you know, uh, that level is this big, very, you know, it's the 0.01% so let's attack the 99.9 because that's where most of us are getting coached. That's where we're coaching in, in the uh, big uh, scheme of things. So I like that holistic approach of your equipment, uh, your rules, uh, you know, how you do those things. It's almost like you're trying to do the complete track and field. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, was aiming, I was aiming that whole way the whole time. You Wait, got uh, it. You got it. What's the, uh, what's the website? And I'll make sure I put it down in our show notes as well. What's the website for complete track and field? The website is complete track and field.com. Um, you know, A-N-D obviously, um, it's just as simple. Go there, right there on the navigation bar. You can get where you need to go. All the free downloads, you know, cheat sheets and reports. Go to the store if you know what you're looking for. Go see content, links out to the YouTube and to videos and to pretty much um, everything that you need. If you are, whether you're entry level, just trying to get into it, or you're trying to get event group specific things, or you coach multiple different events and you're trying to figure out how to manage that. That's always a hard part of coaching, I think, for high school coaches when you're trying to how do you do all three, you know, spin turtles jumps at the same time by yourself in a hallway? Um, so those kinds of things. And, you know, get, go in there, sign up for something, put your name on the list. So when we send out newsletters or promotions or uh, events, you guys can get signed up for that. Keep an eye out for our uh, summer clinic this summer. But completetrackandfield.com is the website. That's where you can go to get all of your track and field coaching needs. I love it. Go check it out. Uh, he said there were some free things on there, right? So go, go taste. That's what a buffet is for. Go taste, see what the, some of the content that he does put out there. And even though this might be the first time I'm meeting Latif and I'm so happy that I did have this opportunity to meet Latif. I do know all these people that he's working with really, really well. In fact, almost every one of them that you mentioned have been a guest on the podcast. Almost. I'm batting real I'm a high percentage there, which I was really proud of. I need to get yeah. Scott Christensen on there. I've known him for years. Love him to death. Yeah, um, he's good. He's awesome. Love him. Stillwater, Minnesota. Great guy, beautiful yeah. area. He's a beautiful guy. Love it. Love he it. Is. Love it. Uh, the only guy in Stillwater, Minnesota that's wearing a Hawaiian shirt 24 <laughs> seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but go check it out. Cause those guys that he talked about are 
the tippy top. They're the best of the best. And there's a reason why they are. And they started where you are, where you're trying to find information. They did the same thing. They were trying to find the gurus that were out there and learn and developed out there. So go check it out. Complete check and uh, Latif man. Thank you so much. I mean, the most important thing you can give me is your time. And so I'm just so thankful that you'd give me some time today to learn more about your journey in this great sport. And again, I do a huge fan of coaching education. So uh, I always have a soft spot for people who are doing things to help others. Cause that's, even if it is a business, you're still, you're raising the tide, you're helping others, you're giving value. And that's, that's huge, man. That's, that's legacy type stuff, man. So I'm just so, so thankful for you. Well, I appreciate the kind words, man. We're, that's what we're, we're trying to do. And Mike, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. You know, again, first time meeting you, but things flow pretty well. I like that. So uh, hopefully we'll uh, have infinite pie somewhere along the way. We can all join forces on, on, on something to help raise the bar for everyone involved. Well, I do love coming up to New England area, you know, Northeast a lot. I do love my friends over at Harvard and the billion other colleges that are up there. Yeah. Uh, and we're getting close. The New Balance facility is opening yeah. up and we're doing that facility, which I'm so humbled to be involved. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I feel like I'll be in Boston a few, yeah, I think few so. times. So we'll have, to, we'll have to link up, man, and meet him. Absolutely. So, Latif, thank you so much, man. Appreciate the value you provided, man. I know others got a lot of value today. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. What an incredible journey Coach has been on. So awesome to hear their story in their own words. Tremendous proof of the positive effects coaches make on a daily basis. Help us spread the word of this great journey by sharing on your favorite social media channel. And don't forget to take a minute to rate and review the podcast. You just might get a shout out on a future episode. That's it for today. Join us next week when we'll connect you with another amazing coach.